Hello and welcome, esteemed gamers, friends, listeners. It is Leighton here from Leighton Night with Brian Wecht, and I just wanted to tell you that if you're looking to get even more podcast goodness to put in your face, then we've got just the thing for you, which is the official Leighton Night Patreon. We have several tiers where you can get access to recommendation lists for every episode, listen to Patreon-exclusive minisodes, get into the super awesome fan Discord, and watch videos like Brian's songwriting process for jingles on the show, or me taking apart and cleaning my mechanical keyboards. It's really fun and cool, and we super appreciate your support. It's neat. We would love to see you there. Without any further ado, here's the episode. Enjoy. Love you. Bye. I have a special surprise for you during this episode. Oh, shit. Okay. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm going to be eating while we record. Whoa! What are you eating? Give us a full review. It's a little something called pizza. I've never heard of this. Yeah, it's an Italian delicacy. It features cheese on top of sauce on top of dough. So is it like a, a, a an open-faced sandwich? That's right. It's like take a calzone and blow it the fuck up. That's a pizza. This brings me no closer to understanding what other ingredients do you put on such a such a dish? Well, on this pizza, Layden, there are black olives. Okay, I support this. Because fuck you, Dylan Germick. <laughs> sausage and mushroom. That sounds very delightful. I'm perplexed and a bit frightened of this new cuisine that's been introduced to my lexicon, but anything with black olives on it, I can wholeheartedly support. Also, I told you you could take as much time as you want to eat your food before we- Oh, I know you did. I know you did. But I decided our listeners deserve me eating. On this 40th episode of Late Night. That's right, the 40th episode. Wow. By the way, congrats that we're <laughs> 40 episodes into this. I know, we're almost a year in. So wild. Well, don't say that shit because my perception <laughs> of time is um, not good. <laughs> I don't like that. It absolutely feels like one of those things that we simultaneously just started and have been doing forever. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's November. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's November. I also poured myself a bourbon for when I'm done with my pizza because we are recording at night. It's Sunday, November 22nd. Wow. I have no booze. This is tragic. I have a very large Gatorade. Huh. That's good enough. I mean... If you drink enough Gatorade, you'll get high as fuck. You also get high as fuck if you take a big swig of Gatorade and then your co-host says something that makes the Gatorade go into your nose. Mm, that's what we call a natural high in the business. <laughs> All right, I'm going to eat into the microphone. Ready? No. That's good pre-show. Oh, wow. So I know a lot of people are very against like eating ASMR, yeah, that's why I'm doing it. I like it. Really? You like chewing sounds? Yeah, but it's very specific foods. I like a really crunchy food. So there's the lady who, I think her YouTube channel is called Queen of Pickles, something like that. But it's just like a lady who sits there and she eats huge pickles, like dead-eyed into the camera. And I love that shit. It's my favorite. <laughs> that's a really great channel. Oh, <laughs> yeah. What a great idea. Is that going to legitimately bother people that I'm eating? I don't know. They can go fuck themselves. They're 40 episodes in. They know what they signed up for. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, we, we're leaving that in. Don't cancel me. Don't cancel me. <laughs> no, don't cancel Layden. I think, by the way, saying they can go fuck themselves is a perfectly on-brand opinion for this podcast towards our fans. Yeah. Because it's said with love, 
Exactly. It's sort of like how I call everyone I love perverts and bastards. Uh-huh. It's affectionate. Speaking of pizza, a food that I have never heard of, um, back at the old Grump's office, I came into the kitchen one day after we had gotten lunch and it was pizza and like Matt and Aaron were standing there like, dude, you got to try this. <clears throat> and I was like, yeah, I've had the pizza. Oh, can I guess what it was? Yeah, go ahead. Was it that curry pizza? No, it was not. Basically, there was a jug of orange juice out and they were like, if you take a bite of pizza and then you drink orange juice, it tastes like you just threw up. (laughs) 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 And then I watched both of them do it and they're like, that's disgusting. And so I was like, I would like to try this. And, um, you know, you eat your slice of pizza and then you take a big fat swig of orange juice and it's it's upsetting Ugh. how much it tastes like vomit. Like down to the aftertaste, it was um oh, no thank you. So that's maybe the dumbest thing I've ever been peer pressured into doing, but it was a real dead dove do not eat kind of situation. Like I knew what I signed up for. You got to explain that to me. What is that? Dead dove do not eat? Uh-huh. It's rested development. I don't remember that. Dead dove do not eat. It's Michael opens the fridge and there's a bag that says dead dove do not eat. He opens it, looks down into it, is disgruntled and then it's like I don't know what I was expecting. And it's Job's. Yeah, it's Job's. Yeah, okay. Which generally people now use that term in a fan fiction context of like, if something is tagged, like, hey, this is fucked up. There's major character death. You'll also tag it with like, dead dove do not eat. Of like, if you go into this expecting something else, you're stupid. Don't do it. Oh. Did you watch any of the season four or five Arrested Developments? What was the first one after the big hiatus? Four. So it was, they did three seasons. Okay, so I did watch that, yeah. And four was the season where they basically did character-centric episodes. Yeah, where it's set up, set up, set up, set up for like 75% of the season, and then it's finally like a bunch of payoffs, and it's like, I don't know if that was worth it. But then there's no payoff. There's an implicit promise, at least to me, that all these characters are going to come together at some big event. Mm -hmm. And then I guess due to the way they had to shoot it because of people's schedules, it kind of just didn't happen. Like, there was some funny stuff in that season. For sure. The Maybe episode is great. I don't even remember what it was. And then I just never watched season five. Yeah, of course not. It doesn't pique your interest. It's like, okay, here's setups. Here's an unsatisfying payoff. But to the level where it's like, I don't give a shit where this goes. Like, I, I truly don't care anymore. And I feel like, much like 30 Rock, Arrested Development is a comedy that is so extremely of a specific moment in the mid-2000s mm-hmm. that I think just does not carry over very well. Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot of like, it's a capital P problematic in a lot of ways that it's like, oh, these people are terrible and like racist and stuff, but it it doesn't. It's not a joke you could make now, basically, that you could get away with. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, the PC culture, you can't get away with that kind of stuff. anyway. I mean, but it's just like, it's the lazy stuff where it's like, I can't tell if you're writing this to make them be horrible or because this is a thing you sort of genuinely believe. I'm always more or less willing to give the benefit of the doubt with that stuff, but. Yeah. I rewatched it like right before the season four came out. So that was probably five years ago or something. Oh my God, that was five years ago. Uh, Ish. I I don't quite remember. I was still in high school. I was a senior in high school and I held a big watch party with my friends, which means it was three of us eating frozen bananas that we uh, (laughs) made in juice boxes. So I don't know if we've talked about this. I am a member of an invite-only online trivia league and frozen banana in the context of Arrested Development was an answer to a question last week. Wow, what was the question? Basically, what treat did the stand sell? Ah, uh, yes, where there is always money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my dog is named after 
Arrested Development, maybe. Of course. I have not much interest in it anymore. It was just a promise I made to my high school self where I was like, I'm going to get a cat and I'm going to name it Maybe. And then here we are. I have a dog and her name is Maybe. Oh, I didn't know that. That that was because you made a promise to yourself and then you felt like you had to keep it. Well, I couldn't come up with a better name. My <laughs> sitting there like, the fuck do I call this dog? Like she's asleep on me. Uh, her name when I adopted her was Starlet. Ugh. It's a very L.A. adoption. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's terrible. Yeah, awful. I was going to name her Chainsaw. That's a great name. Thank you. As with any good dog name, the shortened version of it has to be really good. And Chaney yes. is not a thing I want to call a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want a dog who's going to be predisposed to war crimes. <laughs> yeah. Which she does anyway when she sits on the back of the couch and looks at me with those big eyes and then rips like a fat fart and runs away. <laughs> so you named your dog George W. Bush instead. Exactly. But her, her middle name is Chainsaw, so it's maybe Chainsaw Gray. All right, here's a question for you. What's the first president you remember growing up? Was it W? Yeah. For me, it's Reagan, obviously. Wow, interesting. Because I was born in 75. So when I was born, Ford was president. And then it was Carter in 76. Way too young to remember that. Mm -hmm. But then Reagan was president for eight years. I mean, I have a very clear memory of growing up with the threat of nuclear war. Very clear. Wow. Wow. Because that was the 80s. You know, it was before the 80s, too. It was like, you know, the 60s and 70s. Of course. But that was definitely a thing I was aware of growing up. I'm assuming you had nuclear war anxiety as a child? I guess a little bit. <laughs> there was a big... TV movie I was a little too young for called The Day After. Are you aware of this? I think I've heard of this. It was a huge deal. I'm going to say that was on in 84. I haven't seen this, but I have heard of it. 1983. Yeah, so I would have been eight. It's a lot like another movie I haven't watched about nuclear war, uh, Threads, which is the British one. Mm, I don't know that one. I own it on VHS, but it's always on lists of like, what's the most fucked up movie you've ever seen, which is the sole place that I get movie recommendations from. Huh. But like, I just haven't watched it because it's one of those ones where it hits such a like real anxiety that I'm like, maybe I'll push this off a little bit later. But it's not like regular Threads VHS. It is a Blockbuster Threads VHS, which I huh. really enjoy just having the Blockbuster logo on my shelf. I'm curious about this. So when Trump was elected, one of my fears was we have a madman with his finger on the nuclear launch button. Mm -hmm. And in talking to our friend Brent Lilly about this, Brent was like, no young person worries about this because they didn't grow up with the constant threat of nuclear war like he and I did. So I'm curious because you are a younger person. Is that something you have thought about at all? Was that a concern of yours? Oh, yeah, it was a concern. Yeah, absolutely a concern. That's what I thought. I was like, are you stupid, Brent? Like, you know. <laughs> we talk so much shit on Brent on this podcast. It, it alternates between like, you dummy, and then also like, I love Brent so much and respect him so much as a human. He's the best, but I was just like, anyone who's aware of the world would be concerned about nuclear war. I enjoy continuing to exist, even though it is difficult. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was worried about nuclear war and international relations. Wasn't necessarily worried about 250,000 dead Americans or anything like that, but right. not the specifics of it. We're off to a great start. <laughs> the point is, I was right, because Brent was very dismissive. He's like, no one else worries about this. The point is, I was right, and that was a thing you had considered. Yeah. QED. Brian's correct. Point Brian. Yeah, I have very clear memories of Reagan 
as a president and a public figure. And I think my parents probably even voted for him. My parents were not conservative by any reasonable measure, but Mm -hmm. I think in 84, Reagan won every state but Minnesota because the guy who was running against Mondale was a Minnesotan. And I I believe in the 84 election, Reagan got like 500 plus electoral votes because he only didn't carry Minnesota. Wow. How old were you when Reagan was out of office? Well, 88 was when H.W. got elected, so I would have been 13. Gotcha. And did you have, like, at that point, opinions either way on Reagan? Because for me, like, the first president I remember having was W., but I didn't have any, you know, I was so young that I didn't really have any perception of, like, politics at all. And I was just like, yeah, that's president. I don't know what a Democrat or a Republican is, but that's president. I don't really care about politics. Who cares about politics? And it's like, I'm going to go back in time and slap my little child self in the face. Pretty much the same. Like, you know, when you're little, you don't know anything. Yeah. You don't know about atrocities. Yeah. Like, I remember asking my parents, like, who they voted for, I guess, in 84. And that would have been nine. I remember they were voting. So I have a vague memory of that and that at least one of them voted for Reagan. And of course, then Republican versus Democrat was a very different thing than it is now. Of course. I remember being strongly pro-Bill Clinton in 92. But that's the first time I remember thinking of being pro a certain candidate. Right. I'm sure it wasn't for any good reasons. But (laughs) in the early 90s, of course, the Gulf War was a big thing. That first uh, Gulf War. He had some like drop dead date. He was like, if they don't do X by, I remember it was January 15th, we're going to attack. I remember that because it was my friend's birthday. Uh, and then they started the Gulf War. So I remember a lot of stuff with that. But why I supported Clinton, not that I could vote in 92, but I remember having opinions about it, which in retrospect were not (laughs) well-founded. I mean, isn't that kind of the thing now? Like, can you imagine if you had modern-day internet access at that point in your life? Oh, God, no. Yeah, so it's interesting watching that happen now. (laughs) Yeah, it's so different. You know, back then, it was newspapers and TV were the only thing you had. And Bill Clinton was like the younger, hipper guy. Yeah. Compared to H.W. And now it boggles my mind what it must be like to be a young person growing up with that panoply of choices and not really knowing anything. Yeah. So, Brian, we're here on this 40th episode of Late Night, having just discussed, let's see, nuclear war. President, yes. Arrested Development not, not being good, really. <laughs> I forgot to say this. The main reason I was excited about season five of Arrested Development was because it meant that the actors I like got paid. Yeah. Not because of the actual content of the series. It's like, oh, good. David Cross gets another paycheck. Great. Good for him. You know, or whatever. Yeah. Oh, we have important podcast business to attend to on this very special episode. Okay, hit us. So big ups to... Twitter and Discord user Agony Grant for doing just the absolute most uh, as a late night listener. So Agony Grant, a hero, a shining star, has been compiling clips from our recent episodes. And so there's a Google Drive that we posted of all of these clips. A lot of them are just, it's pretty much like all the most horrible things that we've said. And so we were like, hey. And that's saying something. Yeah, if you want to make a remix of us saying horrible things, you could do that. And I didn't think anybody would do it. But the thing is, they did. So we promised we'd listen to them on the show. I've already listened to these. I have not. (gasps) You haven't? Okay. No, because I was saving it for the show. 
oh, well, I'm a filthy, dirty cheater. I was just excited. <laughs> so I'm going to pull these up. Okay, so this first one is from SoundCloud user Shell Shock, S-C-H-E-L-L, Shock. This is called Real Wet Lobster Titties. Are you ready? I'm ready. Three, two, one, play. All right, nice and loud. Yeah. There's a picture of a lobster here. I love it. It's really chill vibes. Yes, I like I like this bed. I love that this is tagged hashtag gamer. <laughs> I got some reverse speech here. Yeah. Very chill. Yeah, I fucking love this. This is great. Yeah, as it's 7.44 on this Sunday evening, I'm like, wow, this is this is truly like me staring at the wall vibes. <laughs> Oh, here we go. Oh, and the beat hits? Now it's kicking in. Very nice. I like this beat. Yeah. It's like being in the lounge of a hip shortage hotel. (laughs) And there's just lobster clip art on the walls. Everywhere. As an act of supreme narcissism, I'm just going to listen to this casually after this is over. This is some chill lo-fi hip-hop late-night beats to study and relax to. Yep. This is not at all what I was expecting, and I mean that as a very sincere compliment. Yeah, right? You let that one hang way longer than usual. (laughs) You're allowed to not work. Oh, real wet lobster titties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fantastic. Absolutely amazing shell shock. Thank you. Yeah. So the note here on the SoundCloud says all sounds, but the Rhodes keyboard and the kick drum were made by processing the sampled voices of Leighton Gray and Brian Weck from their podcast, which is very cool. Yeah, that's so creative. I'd be like really curious to see screenshots of your DAW or whatever of like what each of those sounds are because I have no idea. Yeah, and I did not realize that going in. I I heard something, I was like, oh, is that a voice? I wasn't sure. Very cool to know that that was the case. I I love it. The vibe is great. It doesn't fall into the trap of just being like the kind of unprocessed vocals over a 
generic beat, it actually does something interesting. I think it's super awesome. Hell yeah. So we have an additional sampling that we can listen to now that I'm going to give you the link to. Great. This one is by Fox on Socks, which is a great name. The album cover is a little very stoned looking shaggy from Scooby-Doo in bed, which is honestly, I'm a little upset that they put this picture of me on on SoundCloud here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Ready? Yep. Three, two, one, go. Good start. Late at night with Brian Wecht. I was really hoping that somebody would take my musical nose and run with them. Yeah. This is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, modulation. I love how different the two are. Yes, me too. When the dark fat synth hits. Good synth. I like that yeah. synth. Some good subby stuff going on here. I like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Mm. I think it's chaotic <laughs> enough. Yes. Love this. Damn, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Little Fucking a slaps. tall lead going on here. Great. I can't take this anymore. <laughs> was that Cherick saying butt meat? Was it? I, I couldn't tell. I think it was at the end there. Fox on Socks, if you can confirm, I'm pretty sure that was Jarek saying butt meat, which really just sparks joy for me. These are amazing. I loved both of these. You're right. They're totally different. This last one, what can I say? I like all the different feels. It really goes places, which is not always a requirement. Of course, you can just be in a vibe and that's great. But this one was a journey in a good way. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Amazing. Big old claps. This 40th episode, like, thank you. You know what? This is our Thanksgiving episode, and I'm giving thanks that these awesome remixes were made by wonderful fans, because I I legitimately love them. Yeah, I'm going to listen to these more afterwards. And also, huge, huge, huge shout out to Agni Grant for throwing those clips together, just comprehensively. Yep. I was going to try to make a late night remix, and I was explaining this to a friend who was like, not familiar with the concept of like remixes being made of like podcasts or YouTube or whatever. And I was like, let me demonstrate how this works. And then I took me saying, come and made a terrible little beat with it in like five minutes. And then Uh, it was like, oh, okay, this makes sense now. But yeah, more come beats to come. Oh, come beats. I like that. Come core. (laughs) That's what that genre is. What is come core? (laughs) Define come core. That. No, that's what we just heard. That is that genre of music. It's come core. Oh my God. Now every late night remix from here on out is come core. What have we done? Yeah. So we promised that we would answer some advice questions for the first time in a very long time. We're returning to our roots. We didn't want to ask someone else to do something for a Thanksgiving episode, so it's just the two of us. So this is a great opportunity to dive into some 
advice. I think we should just move into it now. And in fact, since uh, Agony Grant is the person who provided the impetus for those remixes, why don't we answer Agony Grant's question first? Yeah, let's do it. So Agony Grant, by the way, Agony Grant, great name. Layton, are you aware of the thing that I presume Agony Grant is a play on? No. Agony Ant? Nope. An Agony Ant is, I believe, like an advice columnist, you know, someone you write to, mm-hmm. to uh, get advice on stuff. So I assume Agony Grant is a play on the phrase Agony Ant. Yeah, please confirm. Okay, so the first question is, number one, given your experience, what advice can you give someone new to podcast production? I'd love to know what the experience of producing a podcast has been like so far relative to both your previous creative endeavors. What did you expect it to be like and what has the reality been? My expectation for starting a podcast would be be a lot of cum jokes. And here we are nearly a year later, lots of cum jokes. So Lots of cum jokes, yeah. I don't know, just a, a success all around. <laughs> uh, I would say, to take this question seriously, which you apparently are refusing to do. You don't think cum <laughs> jokes are serious? I'm deadly serious. If there's going to be more, c- fuck you, Brian. Yeah, good, good. I'm glad we're getting into it now. Come everywhere. It's 2020. The world is cum. What the world needs now is come, <laughs> sweet come. <laughs> God, that would improve oh, that song so much. I made myself laugh on that. Oh, that's right. Uh, continue with your answer that's more deadly serious than come. So go ahead. <laughs> what I was going to say is, and I can't say this wasn't expected, although it's hard to know what it's like until you really get into it, is the reality of making a weekly thing is. <laughs> Very difficult. Yes. And it's not that it's not fun. Believe me, if this wasn't fun, I don't think we'd want to do it, right? Yeah. So it's been super fun, but we try to have a guest pretty much every week. And I don't even know how many episodes we haven't had a guest on, but it's fewer than 10. It's got to be. So booking the guests, finding the time to record it. Editing. Well, we were really lucky pretty quickly early on to get Jarek in as a producer Not only is Jarek just a wonderful guy, he's really, really great at what he does. For the first, I don't know, 10 or so episodes, I was editing them all myself. But having Jarek on board has been a huge, huge help. But we still listen. Jarek sends us the cuts, and we still listen to them start to finish and give notes on those. So the the biggest thing, I would say, is actually not an audio production thing. I mean, honestly, with audio production, like, get some decent mics, whatever you can get, and you're kind of off to the races. You don't need to do anything fancy, but, you know, get some, like halfway decent gear and you're fine. The harder part is just like setting the schedule and getting it done. Mm -hmm. So that to me is, is the real thing. You know, with NSP, like we make music videos and put them out when we can. With Grumps, I would be on episodes, you know, intermittently. So it was not like a thing like Dan and Aaron do. I had to be on every day. To me, the most difficult thing, and not in a bad way, has been the, all right, we gotta put it out on Friday. Let's fucking get it done. Yeah. In theory, you're like, oh yeah, okay, fine, let's do it. But when you actually have to do it every week, that really changes a lot. So to me, that's been the most interesting thing is what is it like to, we never said this explicitly, Leighton, but I think implicitly, we were like, all right, we're not going to miss a week. This comes out every week. This is a weekly thing. Let's do it. Yeah. I'm so grateful for many reasons to have you and Jarek, but I think additionally, the like, having other people to hold you accountable for doing the thing. Yes. (laughs) And it's weird through this pandemic, my schedule is like kind of weird and up the air. And this has been like the one, you know, weekly consistent solid thing where it's like, yeah, same. Didn't we just record an episode? (laughs) And like kudos to you for booking like 90% of the guests because I'm just like, 
who exists? Who didn't we just have some? I mean, it's honestly more of an age and like, you know, who I know kind of thing than anything. I'm happy to do it. That's actually the hardest part of this podcast, I think, is leaning on people to be on it. Yeah, because it's hard to ask somebody to be on a podcast on just like a, hey, will you give us two hours of your time and energy? (laughs) Right, and you want it to be people that the audience will be interested in. Part of the implicit rule that we've had in is they have to be digital creators of some kind. Yeah. And not just any random friend you have will be that. One exception for that is Audrey, uh, who can be on whenever she wants, as far as I'm concerned, and does not, you know, put stuff out on YouTube or whatever. But uh, in Booking Guests, we want it to be people that, even if they're not, like, well-known, we want them to be doing something creative and being of general interest. So that's the hardest thing, is to find those people. Of course, you want, you know, people that everyone's going to know. That's great when you get some famous guests. But that's been the hardest thing, is, is booking and doing it in advance and then trying to manage, you know, people, conflicts come up, people drop out. That's the hardest part of the reality of making it is booking people for it. As with anything, you're like, surely this endeavor won't take that much time and energy. Turns out, yes, it does. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as with anything, if you're doing it with people that you admire and respect and have fun with, it's probably going to be good. So, Well, that's the other thing is with the team of the three of us we have, you, me, and Jarek, is that everyone's super responsible. People do not flake on stuff. Like people have stuff come up where you have to change plans and that's no big deal. Mm -hmm. It happens. But I've been a part of plenty of projects where the collaborator is just not reliable. Yeah. And it just makes everything like pulling teeth. Yeah. And one of the real joys of working with you and Jarek is both of you are like, okay, I said I'm going to do it and I did it. Lit. Yeah, indeed. Very lit. To quote Jarek. Yes. Extremely lit. You know, not that I thought you wouldn't be, but you never really know how reliable someone's going to be until you get into it. Totally, totally, yeah. And, you know, I, I didn't expect you to be like a flake, but you have been such a rock throughout this whole thing that it's just been a joy to work with you on it. Bro, likewise. This has been just like such a pleasant, easy experience, and I really enjoy doing it, and I hope we continue to do it for a long time. Yeah, me too. Well, that's the other thing. I don't even know if we're hitting our stride yet. Like, it still feels like we're having fun, yeah. uh, making good episodes. Every episode, I have the same thing where I'm like, Whoa, oh my God, we've been talking for two hours? Holy shit. It feels like it was just 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. That's the most fun and interesting part to me is we're almost a year in and it feels like we're just getting started. And that is great. Because yeah. if we got to now and it was like, uh, what do we want to talk about? I don't know. Okay, bye. You know, then <laughs> I mean, I do feel that way sometimes, like leading up to a record, because especially during this pandemic, it's been like I've never been in a situation where on a regular basis I have to be like really on. Yeah. And so being severely depressed and in the middle of a pandemic, it being like, oh, my God, I've been sleeping all day. Time to do a record. It's like a resilience thing almost of like. Yeah. Even though I'm going to drag my ass over to the chair, like once we're on, we're on. And like, it's always a really pleasant time. Like I never have a bad time when we're recording. Totally. I haven't said this to you explicitly, but I really do appreciate it. You know, I know you're struggling with stuff and the fact that you are still 100% reliable is amazing. Like that I can't tell you how much I, I appreciate it because I know you've been going through some difficult stuff and yet you're always there. It really is not easy to do. And I I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Brian, we're getting emotional on this podcast here today. (laughs) (laughs) Woo, thank you. I really... That's that's, that's what we do. 
That's very validating. So Agony Grant's second question is, how much of being successful in comedy is raw talent and how much can be learned as a skill? My feeling on that is... I know plenty of people that I think are amazing comedians who started out pretty rough. So I think in comedy, A, what is funny kind of changes. You know, it's a very of its moment sort of thing in many ways. But I would say some people just come out of the gate and crush it right away. Most people I know took a while to develop and got funnier and funnier and funnier the more they did it. So I think it's like 10% talent, 90% skill personally. Yeah. I mean, that goes with like anything that you can be good at. You know, you can talk about this in theory of like how much of it is talent and how much of it is skill. And what's actually like productive for making stuff is just assuming all of it is skill. Yes. Because it takes a long time to get good at something. And if you stop when you still suck at it, you're not even giving yourself the opportunity to be better at it. 100%. Especially with comedy, like you're totally going to get better over time. You find that voice and it's about playing off of other people and just I think there are a lot of people who are very like, don't do comedy stuff, but are just like inherently very funny. But even that is like life experience, that's social experience, that's like knowing yourself and what makes you laugh or whatever else. Yeah. Grant, Agony Grant, do a podcast. Yeah, go for it. Well, that's the other thing is with any creative endeavor, until you really get into it, you don't know what it's going to be like if it'll be quote unquote good, whatever that means. You don't know if you'll like it, which is a whole other question. Plenty of people do great work at stuff they hate doing. And until you are in the thick of it, months slash years slash whatever, into doing it, you don't know if you're going to like it. Yeah. There's no reason not to just start, do it. Don't try to be perfect out of the gate. Just make a thing and then it takes you where it takes you and then you end up where you end up. It is also a perfectly valid thing to be like, you know what? I hate this. I'm done. (laughs) And then move on to something else. Yeah, but there's a difference between identifying that and also being like, I feel bad because I'm not good at this immediately, so I'm going to stop. And it's like knowing yourself to know which of those things it is. Yeah. All right. Do you want to pick another question here? I do. Who is it from? I'll read the thing at the end. Dear Leighton and Brian, I work at a sex store in Indiana and spend quite a bit of time explaining safe anal sex to people, mostly related to lube choices, the dangers of desensitization gels, and enemas. I see Brian tweet about butt sex a lot, as one does, and wonder if NSP via song or Twitter or this pod has considered giving more information about how to have butt sex. I know you're not sex educators, but it's very stressful seeing how little people know about their asses. It's all fun and games to joke about anal sex until someone tears their asshole to shreds. I'll put some tips at the end of this email. Best to you and your assholes, Ames, they, them. So I think we have to read these tips, right? I'm setting this up because Ames answers their own question. And I think that this is fantastic. Okay, great. So everyone, we're going to do a little bit of sex education here today. Thank you to Ames. This is a first. Yes. My top anal sex tips. Number one, clean your asshole externally. And if you want to clean the inside, just use water. Get an enema bulb and put a little warm water up your hole and let it run out. Repeat until it runs clean. No need to use soap. Two exclamation points on that. Yes, important. Two, use so much lube. There's no self-lubrication in asses. Water-based lubes are the best for all types of sex, but they do need to be reapplied often. If using a water-based lube, consider buying a gel so it will be thicker and last longer. Silicone lube doesn't need to be applied as often, so it is many people's go-to for anal sex. But FYI, silicone lubes can't be used with silicone toys. A good middle ground is a water-silicone hybrid lube. Oil-based lubes aren't the best for anal sex and can't be used with condoms. Again, use a lot of lube. It will only make it better, I promise. 
Three, there are two rings of muscles in the anus. You can flex the external one, but not the internal one. That's what you need a lot of stretching before taking it up the ass. An ass must be loosened before anything large goes in it. Number four, don't double dip. If you or your partner or partners have a vagina, do not use the same hand toy dick for both orifices. It's a one-way ticket to a UTI. Number five, don't use desensitization gels. You need to feel your body. Please, I beg of you. So that all seems like great advice. This is the best email we've ever received, potentially. This is really great. Let me answer the question as asked, which was... Asked. Asked. Giving more information about how to have anal sex. A, we just did. (laughs) Thanks to you, Ames. Through NSP, the answer is no. (laughs) Like, I don't think of NSP as sex educators. I would almost say that it's a really good example of what not to do. I agree with that because (laughs) NSP is a comedy account, right? And once you start combining serious advice with comedy, it really blurs the line between what can be taken seriously and what can't be taken seriously. And I mean this honestly. I'm not kidding around. And I normally would say that before something really ridiculous, but (laughs) I actually mean it here, is I would hate to say something which is genuine advice and have people be like, oh, that's just NSP fucking around. (laughs) Of course I'll use desensitization loop. Like... (laughs) To me, NSP, very occasionally we will say something serious. For example, a couple months ago, here's how to register to vote. Okay? Something like that. Every once in a while we do that. 99.9% of the NSP stuff is comedy. And I definitely don't want to blur the line for fear of having serious advice being taken not seriously. Right. This all seems like great advice. So thank you for providing it. But with reference to NSP, butt sex is a fun hashtag I like to use. (laughs) I will say this about the NSP account, though. Think about it more seriously. When I'm tweeting from NSP, I try to use it as a way through comedy of normalizing sex and body positivity. So by tweeting about things like butt sex and just using it casually. And I'm vastly overstating the impact of this account. But I do hope in some regard, people are like, oh yeah, that's the thing people do. Great. I mean, I also think the phrase butt sex is funny. So (laughs) I'm going to argue that the phrase butt stuff is inherently funnier than butt sex. Uh I totally agree. Absolutely. I think that's great. I think everyone should really open themselves up to butt stuff emotionally, holes wise. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it can be a very fulfilling part of the sexual experience. I don't know. Ames is covering all the bases. Like, I don't have anything else to add other than fucking knock yourselves out. Have a great time. Yeah, have a great time. Make sure everyone's on board for anything you want to do. And then be safe. Like, what else do you need to know? In my mind, no one says this better than Dan Savage. Dan Savage just crushes this stuff constantly. (laughs) But the most important thing is consent and being aware of your partner or partner's needs. And then as long as you're being safe... Have fun, do whatever you want. Yeah, folks, be safe, come hard. (laughs) (laughs) As we said before, what the world needs now, (laughs) come sweet come. Oh, what a nightmare. All right, so this question is from Lee, they, them. Love this question. How do I ask my girlfriend to watch Lord of the Rings with me again? I fell asleep the first time we watched it. And I don't want her to think that'll happen again. <laughs> First of you, Lee, good on you for falling asleep during Lord of the Rings. I, I think it's an excellent choice. I definitely fell asleep watching Lord of the Rings in the theater for <laughs> part of it. I guarantee it. I mean, I, maybe not the first one, 
but uh, certainly the two towers, I was asleep for 20 to 30 minutes of that film. So I commend this decision. I think it's really, really good. Uh, how do you ask your girlfriend to watch Lord of the Rings with me again? I mean, taking this question seriously, be honest, is what I would say. I fell asleep the first time. By the way, at my age, this literally happens every fucking night. Yep. Rachel and I are watching whatever, The Boys is what we've been watching recently. And now I would say three to four out of seven nights a week, I fall asleep watching TV which is probably normal for a man my age. I don't know, whatever. Oh, but no greater pleasure than falling asleep watching TV. I mean, it's oh, it's so good. Oh, I fell asleep Friday night. We were watching old Muppet Show episodes <laughs> and I fell asleep during the Lou Rawls episode and being in a dark room, eating pizza with my family next to me, listening to Lou Rawls sing was literally the best nap I've had in years. It was so great. Like, what is the reasoning behind, like, hearing people talk or, like, something happening in the background making for the best naps you've ever had? I don't know, but it is definitely a thing. It really, really is. I, I will say a slight mitigating factor is having a six-year-old next to you of who's course. like, Daddy, Daddy, your eyes are closed. Daddy, <laughs> let me open them for you. Daddy, Daddy. <laughs> Um, so that can't affect the situation. Basically, my answer to this question is the mere fact that you're willing to be like, hey, I know I fell asleep last time, but I'm, I'm really interested in watching it with you. I'm happy to do it again. I think is an immediate, yes, your girlfriend will be for it. You can just be like, I'll drink a coffee or something. I'm not going to fall asleep. And if I fall asleep, you can wake me up. It's it's just the fact that you care enough to come back to it, Yeah, I think makes a world of difference. Like I... um. I was on a date with a guy and I was showing him Mulholland Drive for the first time and I was getting like really fucking hype about it because we were coming up on the diner scene and I was just sitting there like- Oh, the best, yes. There is a weird eroticism to me getting to watch you watch the diner scene for the first time. It happens. I look I look over, he's asleep. <laughs> oh, no. You mean he was catching some winkies? God, I'm, I'm, go I'm leaving. Goodbye. This is, wait, no, shit, this is as far as my headphone cord will go. Um, <laughs> I'm back. Anyway, we never finished watching it, and I guess to this day, still has not seen Mulholland Drive. Oh, come on. That's the best scene in the film, yeah, too. Yeah, right? Actually, there's an important thing in this question that's not established. The phrase Lord of the Rings is ambiguous. Is that one of the movies? Is it all three? Is it all six, if you count that? What was going on here? So I'm a little unclear if they were doing a Lord of the Rings marathon, Mm. which is much more understandable. I mean, that's like nine hours or 10 hours or something, or if it's just one. It doesn't really make any difference, but I'm very curious what the situation was. Yeah, I want the follow-up on this. I like this one because it's short and sweet. This is from Abraham. How the fuck do you stay not distracted? Question mark. And then space, like when doing things. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, the first thing to say is for some people, this is a medical issue. And some people have ADHD and medically can't stay not distracted. So those people should see a doctor if you think that's you and be on medif medification. Get some medication. Be on medication. Yeah. Be on medication if you need that. Actually, I, I do struggle with this. There's no way I'm ADHD. Oh, this question's hilarious to me because I don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah. I would say for me, the way I found is... Uh, turning off internet access is a big one. Mm -hmm. I have screen time things on my phone. I uh, have set up a work situation for me, a little office space where I can actually shut off the internet and it doesn't matter. Uh, I can still do the stuff I need to do without it. 
and schedule breaks. Mm-hmm. So breaks and goals is what I would say is the big one to me. And reasonable goals. Mini goals, mini, tiny, real tiny. And then that helps me a lot. But this has been a pretty distracting year, mm-hmm. I think. There's been a lot of stuff. And for me, I've really tried this year to throttle my social media and news access because it's been so relentlessly awful. I'm not always successful, but just being like, you know what? I'm going to check the news once today. And that's it. That has been a big help for me in staying not distracted. Actually, I was very proud of this. On election night, I was like, you know what? I checked the news once. And then I'll check it again the next morning. Knowing that on election night, it was probably going to look very Republican. And the next morning, things would look more Democratic. So I was like, I'm only going to make myself nuts if I look at the returns tonight. I don't know why you didn't do the thing of clockwork, orange, eyes wide open, just consuming (laughs) like five screens at once. I don't know why you wouldn't do that as a, you know, move towards improving your mental health. Yeah, exactly. But I told my therapist this after the next week or whatever. And she said I was her role model. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) that's an amazing compliment from a therapist. Yeah. Oh, to be a fly on the wall, the illegal HIPAA violating fly on the wall in the wall of a therapist's office, pre-election and then post-election. Like, Yeah. For me, actually, on this topic today, because I've been so fucking distracted lately, I mean, there's a lot of shit going on in the world and also for me personally, so it's kind of hard to be like, ah, yes, it is time to sit at my computer and do work, yeah. uh, which feels so important and significant now, and not like it's being eclipsed by other things. But as I was digging around cleaning my apartment today, I found like a six-year-old iPhone. This could have been a year ago now, or it could have been a few months ago. I don't even remember, but I would turn off my phone and just like for you know three or five hours every night, like just have this little thing on, charge my phone across the apartment, only use this as an alarm clock and for Spotify and taking notes. Hmm. And I'm just, I'm charging it right now. I'm going to start doing it again because like I'm going to go insane. But also like Pomodoro timers is pretty much the only way I can like consistently get shit done. Yeah, I remember you talking about these. Yeah, so I have a, what's the browser extension called? It's BlockSite. Yeah, it's called BlockSite. And it has a little timer. You can set custom, you know, work periods and then break periods. And during the work periods, it blocks all the websites that you put on the block list. So you can't check Twitter. And if you try to check it, it's like, the fuck are you doing? Go back to work. And you know what else? If part of your job is posting on social media, there are apps. I use Buffer, for example, Mm -hmm. that allow you to post without reading Twitter. It's the best thing in the fucking world. (laughs) Because like you can make a Twitter post, a tweet, as they call them in the business, Without ever looking at Twitter, without ever going nearing Twitter, going nearing, God, man, I'm, uh, my mouth is not functioning today. Without ever going near or Facebook or Insta or whatever, like you can just put it up there. You can schedule it. You can even just tweet it right away and you never need to open Twitter. It is a joy. Or you just get to the point where you're so sick of looking at your main feed and gain no value up from it whatsoever that you just go on Twitter to do your shit post and then you leave and don't come back yeah. for weeks at a time. That's generally my thing. I, now I'm the same way with Instagram. I just like, I can't, uh, the, the, I talk to the people that I want to hear from and I, I just don't want to drive myself insane. I've got plenty of other things to drive myself insane with. I don't need th- these ones anymore. So yeah, Abraham, that's how you stay not distracted like when doing things. And I really appreciate that question. Yes. If you think you need medical advice, go see a doctor, get medication. Yeah. All right. Do you want to read this long one? Yeah. Okay. Hello, Leighton, Brian, and special guest. My name is Britta. It's she, her pronouns. 
This story is full of drama, so sorry in advance. So a few years ago, my best friend and I had a bad falling out. Essentially, we were relying on each other too much and not actually taking care of our mental health issues. We had unhealthy expectations and it caused a lot of stress. We spent a year apart and then started talking again after running into each other at the store. We had both made great strides with our mental health. We both figured out our meds and had much better coping mechanisms. Not long after we started talking again, she mentioned that there was a rumor a while ago that I had said I slept with her husband. She didn't believe the rumor, but she wondered where it came from. That was my first time hearing the rumor, and I told her that. We didn't talk about it again for a while, and I had mostly forgotten about it. Recently, it came up again, and she told me more about it. Apparently, she heard this rumor from my coworker who claimed to have heard it directly from me. Somehow, this rumor spread through a lot of people at work. We were with the same company, though in separate buildings, and even got to people at her church. Her husband was actually called to talk with the church leader about it, and although he told him the rumor was false, it still had a huge effect on his standing at the church. He was passed over for some opportunities and lost several friends because they believed the rumor. Her husband believes that I started the rumor just to cause trouble for them. I'll admit that all the evidence seems against me. The rumor came about shortly after we stopped being friends, so I would have had motive, and it came from someone who spends a lot of time with me. The fact is, though, I didn't start that rumor and wasn't even aware of it when it was going around. So I've been blamed for something I had no part in, and because of the timing and circumstances, I never even had a chance to defend myself. And although I've just recently been made aware of the situation, it's been over and done with for a long time to everyone else involved. The lingering effects of which are that I can't be involved in any other part of my best friend's life because her husband and other friends all hate me. If I'd known the situation before, I wouldn't have reconnected with my friend at all, but I learned about it a year after rebuilding our friendship. It's been really tense between us since I learned more about the rumor and its consequences. Her husband has no interest in talking to me about it, and there seems to be nothing I can do to make it better. Should I walk away from this relationship, or is this friendship worth the stress of always avoiding the other people in her life? That's from Britta. Woo! Wow. First of all, Britta, I am sorry. This sucks. This situation sucks. There's so many angles of suck here. To me, I'm going to not answer the question just yet and ask, what the fuck is up with this coworker? Yeah, I don't trust this coworker. This person seems like the source of the rumor, unless I'm reading this incorrectly. And that seems very, very problematic. Like That's a batshit thing to start saying about your coworker. Just starting this rumor, that's really troubling. So I would say my first piece of advice for this is if that coworker is still in your life, you absolutely have to cut them out as much as possible within your job. Oh, but they're a coworker. Yeah, but that oh doesn't mean they have to share personal stuff. Of course, of course. I mean, it might not be possible to like not interact with them. In fact, it's probably not. Like if that person torpedoed one friendship, who knows what the fuck else they're going to do. Do not trust that person with anything. That sounds like the ultimate toxic personality. Yeah. Well, first of all, on the positive side, good for you for making strides with your mental health, for identifying that, like, I'm assuming you two were codependent before the bad falling out and that you're both, you know, on the meds that you need and you're doing better. And I guess the first time I read this email, I didn't even clock that you've only just now learned about this a year after rebuilding the friendship. So that is additionally complicated. To me, this boils down to cost-benefit. What are you getting out of this relationship? Mm -hmm. If this person is truly valuable to you as a friend, then you're just going to kind of have to accept this and move on. This definitely seems like the situation where the more you deny or talk about it, the more you're digging yourself into a hole because it'll seem like you're making excuses. 
But if this friendship is not super important to you... Or is stressing you out more than anything else. Yeah, if that's the case, and it sounds like it very well might be given this this email, I would cut ties. Where I lean just knowing what we have, information in this email, I lean towards cutting ties with this person, to be honest. One thing I have learned in my many, many years on this planet is that toxic relationships are not worth hanging around in basically at all. I don't want to say longer than you need to. They're just not worth hanging around in. Yeah, because people aren't just going to suddenly be like, I am no longer shitty. Not to say that that's what this situation is, but in general. Yeah. And if her husband and these other friends hate you, why subject yourself to that? Like, it seems like on balance, this is probably making your life worse. Yeah. And you have two options if you're going to walk away. One is just to cut ties and then bail, which is perfectly justifiable if that's what you need to do. The other is to tell the person, your friend, look, you know, honestly, it, it seems like the other people in your life can't move past this and I need to move on. Well, okay. So my intermediary step there is I'm curious what the friend thinks of the whole thing. Yes. Good question. We've gotten to like, husband feels this way, friends feel this way. But like the fact that this is a year, you're only finding this out a year later after you've rekindled this friendship and presumably have been getting along that indicates to me that maybe it doesn't bother your friend as much as it bothers you. Good point. I think it's worth just being like, cards on the table. I feel weird about this. You know, this wasn't me, but I don't want to add additional stress to your life or, you know, your husband's life, your friend's life, whatever. I just think it's worth having a conversation like that before you're like, you know what, maybe I'm going to dip. But yeah, I think Brian's advice is also sound. I'm bleeding everywhere. Hold on. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, fine. One second. My lips have been so dry because it's winter, but like I have like oh. I've been chewing at a dry spot that's like not on the main meat of the lip, but like at the side of the lip. And uh -huh. so it's like a little bit more normal skin. So I was just doing that and then realized it was gushing blood. Just so lamb. Yeah, here I am. <laughs> I was just having a good time with a paper towel in my mouth. Anyway, Britta, I hope that was helpful and I hope that you're taking care of yourself. <laughs> um, yeah. Put your emotional well being first here, you know? Always. Things are hard enough. All right, this one's from Kira, she, her. I know it's early, but I need some Christmas advice. My partner doesn't like receiving gifts, but I love buying, wrapping, giving gifts to people. I guess it's a love language thing or something. I'd love to do something for him for the holidays so he doesn't feel as awkward since it wouldn't be a tangible object kind of gift, but I need some ideas. Have either of you ever had someone do something or arrange for you that was better than a quote-unquote regular gift? This might be helpful for other listeners too. Thanks for your time and wishing you well. Also wishing you well, Kira. For me, this is easy. Literally anything that's experiential yeah. is better than just some fucking thing to me personally. Yeah. So actually, it was right when Dream Daddy came out. I remember this. She arranged for me to take some sushi making classes mm -hmm. for a birthday gift. Because I remember it was around when Dream Daddy came out because I went to this thing and there were a number of people there and they said, what do you do? And I said, oh, I work, you know this blah, 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 Game Grumps, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. And these young young people were like, Game Grumps? You mean the people that make Dream Daddy? And I was like, yes, in fact. So anyway, that was probably, what, four years ago was that one? Three years ago, we're coming up in March on the four-year inception of the idea, which fucks me up. Okay, so not quite that long. Yeah. But anyway, it was like the greatest thing. So I am always in favor of experiential gifts rather than material Gifts. With the caveat of this year, that is especially difficult to do. Exactly. I've seen a number of remote cooking classes that you can get from various places. So that's something you can look into, depending on the partner. 
that might be something fun? I mean, I could see like any sort of like online concert that you buy a ticket to, Uh or even like, I'm going to pay for six months of a streaming service for you or something that's like, I'm going to get you a month of Blue Apron or, or, you know, things that are appropriate to this time and place. You know what I love? Anytime somebody gives food all over it. I love getting food. So funny. I was literally just about to say that. So my go-to food place, I feel like we might've just talked about this is Zingerman's in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Amazing gourmet food delivery service. They do a bacon of the month club, a cheese of the month club, a bread of the month club. I've never done any of those. I used to live near there. So I would go in and just get it in person. But their food is incredible. And they have these like subscription things, which are, I mean, it's not cheap. Like this is expensive shit. But there are cheaper versions of this that you can do. Yes. So I think a food gift is a really, really great gift. And especially if they're into like, you know, fancy shit. They're all sorts of cool gourmet food things. Yeah, or even just like snacky kind of stuff. Like if if I have a friend who's having like a bad week or whatever, I'll send them a little like Harry and David thing or, you know, in LA at least like Milk Bar delivers. So I'll send some cookies and like a nice note. Uh-huh. It's a snack. So I love giving gifts. I love doing the specific, like I noted this down months in advance or like this is heavily customized to you as a person kind of gifts. I mean, I like getting those, but there are like several specific people who I feel like know me well enough to do that. And I also don't need more things because I'm already a hoarder, pack rat, goblin woman. And so I just don't need more objects, but I always need more food. So food's always great. I love getting a gift card, honestly. And I know a lot of people are super anti-gift card. Oh, they're awesome. I love them. It's like, it's just pick your own thing. Here's free money because I love you. Get your thing. Yeah. Another thing you can get for someone that's not like a traditional gift, but it, it functions the same way buy them a game, like a download. Mm. Like get on the Switch and download a game. Especially if it's like a co-op thing and you can be like, I got it, we can play it together. Totally. But yeah, in terms of like not COVID times in general, like taking somebody out for like a fancy dinner if you can afford it or like a massage gift certificate or let's go do go-karts or, you know, whatever. There's a lot that you can do. And the general like logic of gift giving, at least for me, is something that the person wants but would not go out of their way to get themselves. 100%. Also, lush stuff. Bath bombs, lotion, never fails. Oh, great. Definitely great. We, we do lush stuff all the time. Yeah. It's like just get them a nice little snack or a lush thing. Just something that like they get to have a nice time doing. One thing Rachel did for me once was on my birthday, she drove us to the Vasquez Rocks which are nearby here and very scenic. And it was just like a fun little day trip where she was like, I'm just planning this. Don't worry about it. This day is on me. Uh And it was amazing. And that was free. Like we didn't pay for anything. We just drove to this cool place I'd never even heard of. And it was like this amazing, iconic thing that was nearby. Stuff like that is always a a fun gift too. Now you don't get to wrap it. Maybe you can write a little card and wrap that or something like that. There there are ways around it. We're not even touching the like handmade gift angle, which is a whole thing. Because it doesn't just have to be like a drawing or a poem or whatever. You can commission an artist that they like. That's a really nice one, yeah. Which I've done a couple of times. You just get them like a nice little frame and put it in there. And especially if it's somebody that you know that they like and it's like, hey, I commissioned this person to draw your dog or you or... Or your Twitter avatar or something, right? Yeah, totally. And you can totally do that digitally too. It's weird to be like, here's my favorite gift I've ever given. But my lovely friend, Allison, who listens to this show and also she was like, I listened to all the episodes and now I'm out of episodes and I need you to just call me and talk for extended periods of time. (laughs) (laughs) 
She has a taste for it. Though. Yeah. And she says she appreciates you and Aww. thinks Audrey is very mature and grown up, which is true. But I, I made Allison like a custom eyeshadow palette that I picked out the colors for. And then I painted the outside where I painted her on it. And I named like all the different colors after stuff that she likes. And it was like fun to make. It was like a real like labor of love kind of thing. And she really liked it. So you can think outside the box. But, you know, if, if your person likes makeup, highly recommend like ColourPop and a couple of other places. You can get like a little magnetic blank palette and then buy the little things. And yeah, it's nice. I love that. I think that's awesome. Yeah, hope that helps. Yeah, good luck. All right. I want to read this next question because I really like the subject, which is advice, goblin boys. <laughs> hey, y'all, I'm Ray, she, her. I have a bit of a problem. I seem to have awful taste in men. Like every man <laughs> I find attractive is just the most goblin-ass creature to exist. <sighs> that or they're just motion hot slash personality hot, which doesn't help my case. The issue lies with my friend group. I'm getting real tired of them making fun of my shitty taste because I'm fully aware that these men are not conventionally attractive, but it's getting to the point where I feel genuinely ashamed. I don't even want to share with them who I like because I know what to expect at this point. I'm not really sure how to tell my friends are hurting my feelings by making fun of me because I know they don't mean any real harm and it's all jokes. Am I just being too sensitive? Thanks for your time, and I hope you all have a good day. Right. Oh, Buddy, I vibe with you so hard on this one. <laughs> okay, my first reaction to this, being younger and substantially more single than I am, uh, Layton, you you probably have better things to say about this. But... Substantially more single? <laughs> That's me. <laughs> yep. Well, it's hard to be less single than I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my advice here is, I don't want to find a point on this, I should say, is... Fuck your friends. Like, it, it seems like the problem is, who cares if your friends don't think the men you like are hot? Why is that relevant? They're not the ones who are trying to smooch them. It's not their problem. Yeah. Problem solved. They're not going to smooch them. It's your smooching. Come on. They should shut the fuck up fully. Yeah. They have no business. Like, okay, if it was a personality thing, if they were like, hey, these guys you're dating are losers, they're being uncool for whatever reason. They're consistently shitty to you and make you feel bad. That's a different thing. That's a different type of goblin. And sometimes the Venn diagram of personality goblin and visual goblin is a circle. But that's not... The thing, if they were telling you, like, this person's a piece of shit, different story. And, you know, you should maybe, like, listen to your friends. I don't know. They care about you. But if they're just like, that man is weird looking, like, whatever. Fuck them. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> Not that that makes you feel less ashamed about it, but just, like, tell your friends, like, how would you feel if I called your partner super ugly, like, chronically? That would probably feel bad, right? And is also none of my business. So, yeah. How about you back off and let me love my little gremlin man? Well, also, good on you for, quote unquote, seeing past, you know, conventional attractive yeah. features or whatever. Like, it is amazing. That's the real shit. Yeah. There's tons of incredible people out there who are, you know, not, if you just looked at a picture of them, super hot. Whatever that even means, okay? Yeah, because that's so subjective. Yeah. I think this is a great thing. And... I have zero sympathy for your friends who are making fun of you <laughs> on this one. Honestly, like, who cares what they think? Like who you want to like. If you think these guys are hot, more power to you. Go for it. Also, this is the crux of us talking about movement hot. It's somebody who is not conventionally attractive, but in the way that the personality or vibe 
transcends that and makes them more attractive than a conventionally attractive person would be. This is how I feel all the sexiest people I've ever witnessed or been with have been, I don't know, maybe objectively, quote unquote, weird looking, but just so sexy. So listen, get it, go after it, stay safe, come hard. That's my motto for this episode. Let's go. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) Cool. Okay. I'll read this one. Hi, guys. My name is Katie, she, her, and I got a big old dilemma on my hands. I've somehow become the person my friends turn to advice, except fellow advice givers, but to this day, they've never heated out anything I've said, and nine times out of ten, it's gone the way I told them it would. They then come back to me for more advice on what to do, which in turn makes me angry at them for not listening to me in the first place. I guess what I'm asking is how to give advice without taking it personally when it isn't taken, and more importantly, what to do when you know you're motherfucking right and you have to watch your dumb idiot friends walk right into a dumpster fire. So, Katie... Oh, I feel this. More than any question I've ever heard on this podcast, I feel this question. Yep. We have all been this person, I think, on literally both sides because it's very easy when you are the friend hearing the story, you don't have any of the feelings in it. You see the top down that they're deep in and have been stewing on. And it's very easy for you to be like, dump that motherfucking asshole or, you know, don't do this or do this. This is my advice as a friend. But as always with giving advice as a friend, you kind of have to go into it accepting that they're probably not going to listen to you. Because a lot of times, I feel like my communicating in interpersonal relationships got a lot easier when when someone is telling me about a problem, you ask what they want, which is, do you want advice? Do you want me to just listen? Do you want me to distract you? Yes, very good point. Giving options, because... Usually when this kind of shit happens, they're either asking for advice because they have a very specific answer that they want you to give to validate what they're doing and they will listen to nothing other than that. Or some people just don't know how to say, like, I need to vent about this. And I think we've also all been in the position where you talk about an issue or you vent and then the person goes into advice mode and it comes off kind of condescending because you didn't ask for advice. Uh So I think like with these kinds of conversations, it's important to just like check in and be like, How can I best help you as a friend right now? And so, Katie, I think if this is happening and they keep doing it, I think just saying like, look, I this sounds like a difficult situation. How can I best support you right now? I don't know how aggro you want to get about (laughs) being like, well, you never listen to my advice. So, Brian, what are your thoughts here? So I feel, without going into too many details, I'm in this position all the time where I'm like, okay, here's what I think is going to happen if we do or don't do X. And then friends, collaborators, whatever, go down the path I don't want them to and bullshit ensues. It is the most frustrating thing (laughs) in the world. Yeah, You have to, I think we've said this previously in a different context, and this is jumping off what you said, Layton, sympathy, not empathy, is the buzzword here, or the catchphrase maybe. Feel their plight, maybe offer a little bit of advice, but extract yourself from the emotion of what is going on. Yeah, your friend is not your responsibility. Yeah, and of course it sucks when a friend goes through something tough that's not fun, but you're not responsible for them. And ultimately, they're going to make their own decision, and that decision is independently of whatever you can do. And I feel like your life gets so much easier once you realize, like, You can only do so much. Ultimately, it's up to them. And I would say, if this is consistently happening to you, turn it back on them and make them make the choice. So they tell you, what should I do? Or maybe they say they ask you, what should I do? You ask them, what do you want to do? 
you know, turn it back on them. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're giving advice that's going to be ignored. Act as a sounding board, like Socratic method them, where you're <laughs> asking the questions that they answer and you find the advice together rather than you giving the advice. And that way you can stay a little bit more neutral. You don't have to say, do this, do this, do this, do this. You can kind of come to something together and then ultimately they're the ones deciding it. So think of yourself more as a teacher than as a guide, I guess. Like hmm. ask them what they want. Maybe they'll be like, I don't know. That's why I'm coming to you. If that's the case, just say, maybe you do like, okay, real quick, what do you want? You're like top of mind kind of stuff. But if your advice is continually being ignored, eventually you just have to be like, you know what? Good luck. I can't help you with this particular thing. I realize that's easier said than done. But Yeah, but sometimes you just have to be blunt about it, especially if they're coming back with the same situation. Like, for example, I had a friend who was in a very shitty relationship that was going on for a long time where the person was being very shitty and everyone was like, hey, you know you're dating a shitty person who's treating you like shit, right? And they would be like, what? No. And then eventually it got to a point after lots of gentle prodding where I just yelled at this person and I was like, you're ruining your own life. Stop this. Yep. And uh, they stopped it and it was better. Sometimes you just got to hit them with a little bit of the, what the fuck are you doing? But obviously like, you know, there's the level of closeness of the friendship. And if you feel comfortable doing that, but, and, and still knowing that they might not listen to you and they might be mad at you for yelling. So Ah, interpersonal relationships. It's a matter of stakes. Like, if this is pretty minor shit, yeah. who cares? Opt out. Yeah. If you think someone is going into a genuinely dangerous situation in whatever capacity, that's a different story than you have to act. But if it's just, like, kind of minor stuff, don't worry about it. Go on with your life, and they're going to do whatever they're going to do. This always happens when we do advice where we kind of go in circles, but don't ever, I told you so, a person, <laughs> ever. It feels terrible. I agree with that, but sometimes it's hard not to. <laughs> sometimes it's hard not to. I agree, but, like, nothing infuriates me like an I told you so. It's just like, so you're going to prioritize you being right over me suffering? Yeah. I know I fucked up because I'm suffering. <laughs> I did an action and now I suffer the consequences. Yeah. And like my brain is just doing the whitest kids, you know, Abraham Lincoln. Now you fucked up. Now you <laughs> fucked up. You have fucked up now. I don't need you to additionally be like you have fucked up now. Yeah. I feel like that's a good place to stop for questions. I think we yeah. got to a lot of good ones. Uh, to everyone who wrote in that we didn't answer. Uh, sorry about that. We got a lot of questions uh, this week. Yeah, and also they were all straight bangers. Yes. Thank you, everybody. We have routinely said when we do advice, we want lighter stuff. Some of the stuff we talked about is, you know, is real shit. But generally speaking, we are not mental health professionals and or licensed therapists or whatever. We can't answer questions about that stuff and feel good about what we're saying. I can barely feel good about answering like half, the, like barely a fraction of that because I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? What if they do something that they take totally. my counsel and it doesn't work out for them? So I really do appreciate like the vast majority of these questions were questions we could actually answer. And uh, that is awesome. Great job, everybody. The way I said that, my tone was very sarcastic and I didn't intend that to come out that way. <laughs> Thank you for following instructions. We, we really do appreciate We were texting and we, really appreciate and we were just like, these questions are fucking amazing this time because they really were. 
Yeah, I kept sending screenshots and being like, this one's my favorite. No, this one's my favorite. The anal sex question was the first one you sent me and you were like, okay, this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Ames, you're a goddamn hero. Shall we do segments? Which, first of all, I feel like we we skipped over introducing that segment, which I've decided is called My Brian, My Brian and Me. Oh, and we didn't introduce ourselves either. Hi, I'm Leighton Gray. That one's Brian Weck. Welcome to the show. Blah, blah, blah. That goes at the very beginning. We don't even talk first, so it's fine. You already heard it. All right. I'm so tempted to do the whole what's popping introduction, but... With me? Yes, it would be an act of pure spite. It would be incomprehensible screaming. Uh, (laughs) Like, you would start doing it, and I would just start screaming. Yes, okay, so this is what's popping. Here's the theme song. What's popping? What's popping? Layton, what's popping? I didn't think about this beforehand, Brian. What's popping? Okay, I did think about it beforehand. Because you're a professional. Well, yeah. Yes, I'm going to do another podcast this week. I think it was Will Hines mentioned on uh, Comedy Bang Bang last week. Uh, it's a podcast called What's That From? And it is two comedy nerds, Nate Smith and Jeff Garlock, two comedian, writer, actor types who have a very, very thorough knowledge of comedy, just talking for like an hour and reminiscing about their favorite bits. Wow. And it sounds like a terrible idea for a podcast but a these guys are comedians and they're really fun to listen to b they have a very thorough knowledge of comedy c for me they're roughly my age or maybe a couple years younger so we have a lot of the same comedic like they were ucb around the same time i was a lot of this stuff that they were growing up with was the same stuff i was growing up with mr show that kind of stuff uh and so we share a lot of the same comedic vocabulary and it's just really fun to listen to two professional comedians talk about their favorite comedy stuff. And they play clips from uh, stand-up sets and and sketches. And it is the kind of thing where if you described it to somebody, probably 90% of the people you talk to would be like, that just sounds awful. I don't want to have any business listening to that. I'm four episodes in. I think they have 11. Might even be the whole thing. And I really, really love it. So if you are a comedy fan, and especially if you're closer to my age, you know, 40-ish, I think there's going to be something in here for you. I really, really, really like it. So it's called What's That From? And it's a podcast with Jeff Garlock and Nate Smith. Wow. That sounds really delightful. Layton, what's popping? What's popping for me is a real scattershot thing, because literally since we last recorded, I have not consumed any new content and have not even really been like listening to music or podcasts that aren't like behind the bastards, which continues to be great. As a capital C coping technique, I've been watching scenes from movies that I really like. So I'm just going to go through my YouTube history right now. Great. Best in show. We both love soup. Best in show. Naming nuts. (laughs) Nightcrawler. Best scene. HD. Killing of a sacred deer. Spaghetti scene. Wait, wait, hold on. What's the best scene in Nightcrawler? Which one is it? It's the one where um, JKG is talking to the lady at the Mexican restaurant. Yes. Okay, great. Which I would disagree with best scene there. It's a good scene for sure. Yeah. Good scene. Killing of a sacred deer, the spaghetti scene. Fucking love it. Barry Keegan killing it. A bunch of scenes from Come and See. I don't even know what that is. Oh, it's a Soviet war epic. It is genuinely one of, if not the best movies I've ever seen. It's just the ultimate war is hell movie. Um, let's see. A bunch of scenes from Hannibal. The TV show. Yes. Falling Down, Breakfast at Whammy Burger, a movie I have not seen, but I really enjoy. You know what? I have never seen that movie either. And I'm, look, love Kurt Russell. 
course I love Kurt Russell. Haven't seen Falling Down. Then we got Funeral Monologue from Synecdoche, New York. Also haven't seen it, but I've been meaning to. What? I know. <laughs> if you want to feel real fucking bad for three hours. Well, that's literally why I haven't seen it. I love Charlie Kaufman. I had read so many things saying this movie is just a bummer that I could never really work up the courage to, <laughs> to watch it. Yeah, I watched it while I was trying to taper off of antidepressants and it was not going well. Oh and I feel like there's no better experience of watching it then. But yeah, Catherine Keener, Philip Seymour Hoffman, fucking all-time greatest hits. So good. Amazing. What else we got? Bunch of scenes from True Detective, mm -hmm. bunch of Key and Peele sketches. Always great. Have you seen the Key and Peele Terry's sketch? Oh my God, thank you. That's my. That's literally my favorite one and nobody ever talks about it. No, no, it's my favorite Key and Peele sketch. <laughs> We about to get hypothetical on their clavicles. Drax. Yeah, Drax them, them clowns. Clowns. <laughs> I feel so valid and so seen right now because anytime Key and Peele sketches come up, people are like, "All right, Continental Breakfast, Aeron." No, no, like, no. It's nobody, Terry's. Like nobody's seen the fucking Terry's one. It's Terry's. If only for Jordan Peele's hair hat. <laughs> Where he basically <laughs> has something on his head, which where his hair is kind of molded into the shape of like a trucker hat. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, both of their hair. Oh, they're, both their hair is nuts, but especially Peel's hair hat is <laughs> is just the best. <laughs> the micro expressions. <laughs> Actually, the dude who's the passenger next to them is in The Boys. Did you notice that? He's one of the execs at Vaught. Oh my God, you're right. I thought he was familiar. Rachel and I have just been, I've been rewatching season one. She's watching it for the first time. And I'm like, that's the guy in the plane. That's the Terry's guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The moment we get off this episode, I'm going to rewatch that. Like I watched it just the other day. Everything about it. Don't you just wish so? Oh, <laughs> I love it so much. Anyway, folks, if, if you guys like Kim Peel and you haven't seen that one, I need you to watch it. Because as with all comedy stuff that I end up loving the most, it is as stupid as possible. <laughs> Doesn't Keegan-Michael Key lick his gun? I think he licks his, like, plastic gun or something. In the, oh. There's just so much, like, lip licking in that one that it just kind of washes over me. Yeah. And then also a bunch of home movies, mostly uh, Coach McGurk compilations, because I fucking love it. Amazing. Well, I feel like we really shared a moment over Terry's. I know. That was beautiful that we got to bond over Terry's. Yeah, it's the best. <laughs> I know my dad's listening to this, and I think Terry's is also his favorite one. We always talk about that. If it's not your favorite Key and Peele sketch, you're a bad person. I mean, I, I would go so far as to say <laughs> and that. And that's a late night promise. Yeah. Actually, now I genuinely want to hear if you're listening to this. Please tell me what your favorite Key and Peele sketch is, because I just want to watch more Key and Peele sketches. Okay. A strong second contender for me is the East-West College Bowl, where... Yeah, a uh, classic. You, you know, I'm far from a sports person, but listening to them just say ridiculous names for several minutes is a pure joy. Donkey Teeth. Yeah. Oh, I love Donkey Teeth. We could go on and on and on about Key and Peele. One of these episodes, we need to just like go through sketch comedy that we like, or maybe we'll do it for Patreon, or we just like put together a YouTube playlist and we're like, this is a watch along of bullshit. By the way, the podcast that I recommended is literally that exact thing where they're like, hey, what about this one? Oh, beautiful. That's what that podcast, what's that from is. All right, cool. I'm glad that my what's popping was a billion things. Yeah, it is uh, norm shattering, as they say. Yeah. But welcomed.
let's roll into peaches and lemons. PL. Because we're doing lemons. PLs. In Biden's America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I keep just throwing around the phrase Biden's America of like, you know, I got a coffee stain on my shirt. It's just like, this wasn't supposed to happen in Biden's America. Finally. We are supposed to have female war criminals. But <laughs> oh, Finally, a white man is back in charge. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's the most 2016 ass joke yeah. you could have made. It's like, a, there's a Cheeto in the White House. Everyone shut up. Um, 2021 is a year of everyone needs to shut the fuck up. I've been on this. Everyone shut the I fuck like up. That. 2021. Yes. Anyway, peaches and lemons. We both know what peaches and lemons are. If you're listening to the show for the first time, You'll figure it out. I'm not going to explain it. I'm just throwing you in the deep end. We started the episode with Go Fuck Yourself. We said if you don't like a specific Key and Peele sketch as your favorite, you are a bad person. Yeah, I'll stand by that. So let's just go with it. On this 40th episode, this celebration of so many wonderful people who have supported the show and gotten to the place where it is, which is us just saying come all the time. <laughs> Brian, give me your lemon. Squirt it right into my eyes. Late night to think of mine, so you go first. What's your lemon? Okay, so my lemon is myself. And this is a petty thing. This is not me unpacking my deep self-loathing issues on this podcast. This is just a minor, minor thing. I don't understand why my brain is not like, if you have a piece of trash, put the trash into the trash can. Like, I am my own worst roommate. And I have spent... <laughs> Today, like rectifying this. And every time I get into cleaning, because I hate cleaning, because I always save it until everything's disgusting and I'm in my little goblin den and then it's really hard. And it's like, well, if you just incrementally did this, you would not hate this so much. But every time I find it, I'm like, I came in from my balcony and there was a Kit Kat wrapper sticking to my pants. And that's not the first time that that has happened this week. Mm -hmm. So my lemon is... You know that meme that's like, damn bitch, you live like this? I do not. Me at myself. I can pretty much guess what it looks like. Hold on. There it is. Okay. Oh, that is way funnier than I would have thought. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep. You're right. Uh-huh. Do not even remotely describe it. <laughs> what, what is this from? <laughs> I don't know, man. The only memes I like anymore are so far removed from their original context that it's like, why the fuck does this image exist? That's an accurate summary of this image what the fuck is going on here i mean it's funny but <laughs> very confusing anyway yeah it's that general vibe my lemon is my own proclivity for sloth the least sexy deadly sin so that's me hit me with that lemon yeah my lemon is as we are moving into the christmas season here well, this might be an unpopular take but the prevalence of peppermint flavored bullshit in the world. <laughs> I don't like it. And look, I got nothing against a good peppermint. Doesn't need to be on my ice cream. It doesn't need to be anywhere near my coffee or indeed in any form except a stick of mint that I eat purely by itself. To me, the idea of fucking peppermint ice cream is and this is not an exaggeration, abhorrent. Well, no, because it's like eating a, a stick of like minty gum and then chugging cold water. Yeah. Like it's not Ugh. pleasant. You know what, Brian? I was like primed to disagree with you on this, but I'm with you on this. Thank you. I'm not completely anti-peppermint. I like candy canes. I like candy canes. Candy canes are great. All right, I disagree with this shit, but I was walking my dog earlier. You know, where I live, I see a lot of trash and rats on the ground frequently. 
and I saw the tiniest sliver of a package, you know, it was like a centimeter wide, like a little triangle. And I hated that I immediately knew what it was, which was the corner of a Ghirardelli peppermint bark, uh, individually wrapped piece of chocolate because I love that shit. It's so good. Everything else, peppermint, fuck yourself. As discussed on last week's episode, I continue to be a bitch for Starbucks. Literally for Christmas, I have asked for an Uggs gift card and a Starbucks gift card. I am embracing the cringe. That is some basic bitch stuff. That's me. But they have the peppermint (laughs) mocha that everyone loses their mind for. And I've had it. It's fucking awful. Oh, with mocha? Fuck that. Yeah, specific ones. A lot of peppermint bark is absolute shit. The Ghirardelli one is like just barely peppermint bark. It's just like chocolate with white chocolate and little crunchy bits. Like that's fine. But with coffee, it's so disgusting. Peppermint and coffee do not go together. Like, I stand by this. Peppermint and ice cream. Audrey loves this shit. I think McConnell's has like a peppermint flavor. And Rachel loves it. You know, I'm constantly, much like the protagonist of the Aronofsky film, Pie, constantly restating my assumptions so as to optimize. (laughs) Uh, And whenever there is a food I dislike, I will... If some time has gone by, I'll be like, you know what? Let me try it again. Maybe I'll like it now. Maybe my tastes have changed. Maybe I was in a bad headspace last time. Whatever. So I'm constantly retrying food I hate. And guess what? (laughs) I still always hate it. Like maybe one out of a hundred times have I changed my mind on something. But how do you feel about mint chocolate chip ice cream? Hate it. (gasps) I hate mint chocolate chip. I like mint in one context which is in a mint. I don't want it in ice cream. I don't want it in other shit. Like after dinner mints, fine. Really what I want is like an Altoid style thing. That's the most acceptable form of mint. I'll accept like an after eight mint, that style, you know, like a thin chocolate mint thing. Fine, I guess. Fine. You don't like an Andy's mint? Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. But mint chocolate chip ice cream, no fucking way. Absolutely, I'm out. The green stuff, you're not into it? No. Because I thought we were just talking about peppermint, which is a different thing. Mint chocolate chip ice cream is fucking dope. Audrey and Rachel would agree with you, but they are, like you, incorrect. Oh, I haven't had it in years. So that's my lemon. All right, well, that's fine. I love how I think pretty early on in the show we drew the line about like, a hot dog is a sandwich. Go fuck yourself. Prescriptive is fucking blah, blah. But, you know, within 40 episodes, we have... fully embraced prescriptivist food opinions. We had olives in the last episode. and Well, that was forced um, on us by our guests, to be fair. It's true. Well, I'll move on with my peaches. Yeah, do it. Peach number one, we got Audrey a little trampoline. Which she sent me a video of. I sent you a video of where she was going, awesome! Like, she's just a little joy machine, and bouncing is a (laughs) kid's favorite thing to do. So watching my (laughs) adorable little daughter just going ape shit on her tiny trampoline was really, really cute. We actually had some really great Audrey stuff, some quotes this week. There's a kid named David in her first grade class, and Audrey loves this show, Luna, which is on Netflix. And after lunch one day, Audrey, in her most gossip columnist voice, goes, just out of the blue, she goes, looks like David's been watching Luna. And Rachel and I cracked up, And then we decided that she needed to start a little first grade gossip column about, you know, Kenny's really been into Octonos this week. What's going on with Kenny? Uh, Kind of stuff. It's just first graders talking about other first graders is very cute because it's all the lowest stakes shit you could possibly imagine. And it's very adorable. I love this for her. Yes. Okay. Peach number two 
is, as I mentioned on an earlier episode, we uncovered our old Wii, and I have been loving Super Mario Galaxy 2. What a fucking great game. Oh my God, it's so good. I, I had not played it before. It's just fantastic and really hard, too. I forgot how imprecise the nunchuck joystick is on the Wiimote. Oh, my gosh. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's, like, yeah. really hard to control. It's a little waggler. It, 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 it's a waggler for sure. <laughs> I've really been enjoying the game. I loved Galaxy when I played it when it first came out and then replayed it and finished it recently and was very excited to play, too. Super Mario Galaxy 2 kicks Super Mario Galaxy's ass. It's just such a more interesting game. Wow. I never played it. Oh, my God. Mario Galaxy 1 has some really cool level design. 2 just, like, takes that, you know, it, it ups it by, like, a significant margin from the first one. Trying all sorts of weird shit. I really, really love it. That's great. And then my final peach is... I don't even know if it's a peach. I'm just confused with myself. <laughs> I've been watching the show Manifest on Hulu. Do you know this show? No. So the idea behind the show is that a plane basically disappears for five years and then lands like it was never gone. And the passengers have to like deal with that. Okay. This show is terrible. <laughs> it, it is an objectively bad show. It's like lost for stupid people. Um, wow. Yet I keep watching it and enjoying it. Sometimes you have those shows, you know? Like, this sucks. I'm going to keep going. It's not good. The characters' motivations change. You know, you're, you're told, oh, this is the most important thing in the world to this person. And then they give up on it without a second thought. The writing is very superficial. The acting is, actually, acting is generally pretty good. <laughs> but it's not a particularly smart show and desperately wants to be. One of the main characters is a mathematician, which, of course, I like. <laughs> it's not a good show, but I am enjoying it. And I feel like a bad person for enjoying it. So I can't recommend Manifest, but it has been an entertaining way to spend the time because most of the time I spend watching it, I'm just like, why am I fucking watching this? But it's got an interesting central mystery that I, what happened to these people on the plane? Isn't that a beautiful thing though? I mean, I think I started enjoying media so much more once I accepted like, am I really getting anywhere by like roasting things that I think are stupid exclusively and like looking down? Yeah. Just allow yourself to enjoy a thing or just like appreciate it within the bounds of what it is. Like I feel like, especially with horror, I cannot stand watching horror movies. And like there are certain contexts where it's like, okay, we're all roasting this, but people who are like, why didn't they just shoot him right then? And it's like, because the movie would be over. The movie would be over yeah. and we would not be watching the movie. Um, it's just like, once you accept like, yeah, this is going to be bullshit. I'm not going to question this. Like I'm along for the ride. Let's go. Life gets way easier. Yep. That's where I, I'm at. I, I first started watching the show when we were signing, uh, the Starbomb Triforce albums. Uh, wow. And I watched all the first season while I was signing CDs. This is like over a year ago. And I forgot about it entirely. And then like two weeks ago, it was almost like I woke up in the middle of the night being like, whatever happened to those people on that plane? <laughs> And discovered that season two had not only started, but finished. And I was like, well, I guess I got to fucking watch that now. So that's how I came back to it. Uh, All right, Layden, what are your peaches? My first peach is a follow-up on one of my peaches from last week, which was that immediately after we recorded, I got on a call with a friend, Will, uh, Baths, to oh, yes. show me more Ableton stuff. And we did that. And I took like three full pages of notes. It was so great to hear his voice again and hang out. And he's such a good fucking teacher. And 
learned a lot of stuff, but learned one fundamental thing about Ableton that I'd somehow gone a year without knowing, which is the order that you put audio effects in matters, (laughs) which somehow I didn't know. (laughs) So it was me just like yelling for a second of like, hold on, you mean to tell me that this matters? So yeah, that was exciting. Yep. Cool. Yeah, totally learned how to use Session View and Will made like Mm. a terrible little beat. (laughs) And I don't mean that as a dig on him, like an intentionally terrible beat of just like, I'm going to record a clap here and drums and here's a stupid melody. And uh, that little 15 second clip just brought me great joy. My second peach is, so there's like tiers to depression activities for Layton where (laughs) at the lowest tier, I get really into Sims 4 again. And I put like hundreds mm. of hours into Sims 4. By lowest tier, you mean that's the first thing you do or as like, that's when you're at your lowest? This is deep depression. Okay, got it. That tier is Sims 4. So if you see me start building another mid-century modern mansion that I live in with my crime lord vampire milf wife who keeps doing murders <laughs> and like, I don't know, our roommate is Bill Hader and then also like Martha Stewart is there or something, we have a problem. Uh-huh. But- A couple of tiers above that is me getting really into Animal Crossing again after not playing it for months. And I'm back on it. It's great. I'm loving it. I've put like 40 hours (laughs) in the past week into Animal Crossing. Wow. Look at you. I'm thriving. But no, the real peach here is not just I'm playing Animal Crossing. The peach is there's a website called Nookazon, which is where all the black market Animal Crossing trading happens. And as... You know, I played Wild World when I was a kid and wasn't really online. New Leaf, I played years after it came out and I wasn't interested in being online for it. But now it's like the trading community is very active. And now I'm running a little fucking trading empire because the seasonal recipes, the mush furniture series, I have been sitting with my Switch open, standing on my island, waiting for that balloon sound. This makes no sense to you. People listening. No, I have no idea what you're talking about. I sit there with my slingshot. I look at my computer. I hear the whistle. I shoot it. I am just like racking up the mush furniture DIYs, flipping them for mad profit on Nookazon. So I'm just stating that I have a business empire going digitally and it's going very well. I am highly reviewed. If anybody needs a variety of goods or services, I'm going to start going to towns and drawing on bulletin boards for for money, which is a thing that you can do. In-game money, not real-world money. Cool. Yeah, exciting. I have the cat that everybody wants to fuck in my town that I got purely through RNG. Wait, wait, is that a thing? Describe, hold on. (laughs) Are you talking about Commander Biouch? I'm leaving. Um, (laughs) You've seen Raymond the Cat from Animal Crossing, right? Have I? I don't know. Look up Raymond Animal Crossing. Okay, yes, I have seen this cat. Yeah. People pay so much real world money for this cat because he was introduced in this new game for some reason, everyone's obsessed with him. And out of pure like luck, because people will like spend a ton of money on amiibo cards. There's a whole like secondary meta currency in the game, aside from the bells that are Nook Miles tickets that you use to go to islands where you can find new villagers. And so if an item is expensive, it'll be like that's 30 Nook Miles tickets, which take forever to grind. It's just so people can get like Raymond or Sherb or Marshall or all the other creatures that people want. Anyway, showed up in my town on accident. He's fine. I like him. But when he moves out, I'm going to make so much goddamn digital money. I am ready. 10 million bells. Give it to me. I have bridges to pay off. Thank you. Raymond is a cat with gray fur. His ears, paws, and tail are colored black. 
and he has a blonde tuft of hair on his forehead. He has a barely noticeable gray-to-white gradient <laughs> just before his black paws. He has complete heterochromia, with his right eye being brown and his left eye being green. His default expression looks rather serious, fitting his business theme. He wears a pair of glasses, and his initial outfit is a gray waistcoat. On rainy days, he wears the blue raincoat and a green outdoor hat, or he carries around the bat umbrella. Can we do a Patreon episode that's just you reading the descriptions of Animal Crossing creatures? Yeah, just from the Animal Crossing fandom wiki, yeah. Uh, Nookipedia, as it's called. I'm on animalcrossing.fandom.com. Is that, I would imagine it's different than Nookipedia, right? That's different. I'm trying to remember, there was an Animal Crossing site that I used when I was a child, and I don't remember the name of it. I just remember the layout of the site so vividly because it was just like GeoCities bullshit, and I loved it. Oh, the best. Yeah, literally the best. You know what? This is my third peach. I'm at a point where... I so openly love the GeoCities aesthetic and like all that shit that now my friends will just send me that stuff unprompted and be like, I found this horrible website. Please look at it. I know you'll enjoy it. And so I just appreciate that my friends have honed in on the brand. So if you, listener, come across just a disgustingly ugly website, please send it to me. I would like to see it. Do you know what Raymond's name is in German? Raymond? Gunner. Gunner. Like with an A? Yes. Like... The Nelson twins. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, I don't get the Raymond type. He's just a cat with glasses on. I, I don't understand. There are a lot of cute little critters in the game. And people want to fuck this one in particular? Yeah. As with any character, people want to fuck him. I've seen people theorize that, like, you played Portal 2, right? I have played Portal 2. It's the carryover of people who wanted to fuck the human version of Wheatley from that game. Ah, yes. Which, when I was a teenager... I was on that train. No judgment zone. <laughs> no, that's fine. Actually, no. I deserve full judgment for that, please. Anyway, but now this is the reincarnation of that fandom of like, oh, this is the exact same type of character. I'm going to cling on to this, except it's a cat in a game for children. Cool. Well, this was fun. Yeah, this was a delight. This is a great way to spend a Sunday evening. Jarek, I'm sorry this was so long, but I think you're going to have fun with this. Yeah, it also in involved you musically singing But Me. Yes, that's true. In the background. Yeah. Love those remixes. Yeah. I do want to, as a final parting thought, just, just finish on, on, uh, on this note, which is that what the world needs now is comes, sweet comes. I refuse to allow that to be the end of this show. If you've listened this far, you're on episode 40 of Late and Night, I can't fully like articulate or stress how much we appreciate you listening to the show and supporting it and enabling us to do this bullshit. You're all enablers, especially patrons. Like, seriously, thank you. Everybody in the Discord, people who tweet us, you're all the best and hope that you're well. People that we gave advice, please don't listen to our advice. <laughs> and uh, as a final parting thought, stay safe, come hard. That's the end of the podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Knight, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Knight, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>